from here on in, everyone go to the mall. Everyone go to the mall. You all have to buy a size seven shoe. <laughs> that's it. If you're an 11, yeah. it doesn't matter. You must buy size seven and leave with a size seven because that's the most popular. And that's how we do medicine right now. Yeah. yeah. And it, when we take it out of that and we think of that context, like, hey, wait a second. That's, that's ridiculous. That's ri- a little ridiculous. Yeah. That is the best analogy. Yeah. Hey, welcome to that badass podcast. I'm Kaylee, your realistic nutritionist, helping you find the balance between green smoothies and red wine. And I'm Ashley, the creator of Royally Fit, that went from obsessive exercising and calorie counting to living a free, unrestrictive, and badass life. We are here to build a tribe of babe-supporting babes so you can thrive in your fitness, health, and mental wealth. So if you like to keep it real, raw, and controversial, welcome. Let's get started. Boom! Nailed that shit! (laughs) After like 18 tries. Awesome. Hello, everyone. Welcome back to That Badass Podcast. It's Ashley and Kaylee here with Dr. Arsenault. What's up, Many of you have heard me talk about Dr. Arsenault before, and I am so excited to have you today on That Badass Podcast because I talk about you all the time, but also because I know you're going to be able to share so much amazing information on a really important subject, which is SIBO. But... Before we get to SIBO, because people are probably like, what the hell is that? Okay, yep. I want to listen to this. Please share with people what a functional medicine doctor is, because I get asked this all the time. Good. Um, I'm happy to be here, and thanks for having me. Yeah. So um, functional medicine is an emerging medical model that's rather unique. It's actually the fastest growing movement in healthcare. And you can be an MD, an ND, a PhD, um, but really... It's really about the model. So if we think of functional medicine, we think of conventional medicine as very diagnostically focused. So you have this disease, take this medicine, and that's the end of the story. In naturopathic medicine, I find if we're too far in the box in conventional medicine, we're almost too far outside of the box sometimes in naturopathic medicine. It's a philosophy. And sometimes it's like, try these, all these things because it's really good for you. But there's no real structure And what I find with functional medicine is really helpful is it's not the treatment that's important, whether it's a drug, a natural product, a lifestyle change, an adjustment, or a diet. It's a model to understand complex health problems more thoroughly and more globally. And really what we do is we describe what we call the three Ps. So it's personalized. So if I have 10 patients with allergies, it's really important in functional medicine to understand that upstream cause, what we call the mechanism, versus just the downstream effect. And really understanding the origin of the problem, the patient's unique story, and how they got to where they are today. We know that these diseases don't come out of thin air. And I tell patients, you didn't get hit by lightning, although one of them told me they actually did. (laughs) So that was threw me off a little bit. But really understanding there's so much medical research right now on mechanisms and what's called what what's called systems biology if you look at it up in the research and really understanding how did the patient what dysfunctions what systems went awry that led to that outcome and the second p is precision so we we don't just randomly start treating patients we're really targeted and very precise in how we go after the targets or the imbalances that we find and finally the third p which i think is actually the most important p is participation So patients drive their own bus. It's up to us as health providers to provide education and guidance on how to get them to make the best decision for their health. But it empowers patients through education and through different strategies and options 
to get them to their, what I call their health potential. So this isn't just disease. This is about creating a higher state of health, a better you that, so that you can serve others. And that's really what it's about. Yeah. I love it. Well, as many of our listeners know, because I've talked about you before, like you've helped me in so many different areas of my health along my, you know, I think 10 plus years I've been seeing you. But what I find, um, the way I best describe functional medicine is obviously not as in depth as you do. It's like the perfect marriage between MD and ND. So the perfect marriage between like science and then working with somebody and their individual needs and their history. And like when a patient comes to see you, you actually ask them about everything that they can remember from the time that they were born basically until now at that date in your office and like all of their health concerns, all of their surgeries, even things down to like, did they get their tonsils out? Like you Mm. ask every single little thing because all of those things mean something. It's not just, oh, my throat hurts. Here's some medication. And it's real. I like how you, how you phrase that. And it's really important because I find patients come to see you with complex health problems. It's a network. All these components are connected. And I usually find that when we ask the right questions, we actually find that that information usually cracks the case. And really that story is quite unique. And the more you gather about how these processes and how the body's changed over time because of choices and lifestyle habits and medications, the more you can understand where they are today and the better you can not just manage a disease, but restore health and function over time. And that's really what it's about. Mm -hmm. So we really want to understand their uniqueness, their journey, and get them back to where they need to be. Amazing. Amazing. Well, thank you for sharing that because I know a lot of people are are really confused because it's kind of a new emerging, you know, medicine. Well, and so. it's a very different approach. I mean, I think everybody can relate when you go to the doctor's office, like your typical MD, unfortunately, like there's just not a lot of time. And so like I would always go in and have like my questions written down and all my issues were with you. What was cool is I didn't even have to break that piece of paper out. It was like you were diving deep trying to figure out what was going on with me, not just here's a prescription on to the next client. Mm-hmm. So it's a very, yeah, I like the personalized approach and even getting me to think about things that I wasn't even thinking about and asking questions that I wouldn't even think to bring up. So I love just how deep it actually dives specifically to each person. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I, yeah. We could go on and on about how awesome you are because you've seen so many of our listeners and our community and like everyone is so interesting because they sound like they have the same thing, but you attack it in a very different manner. And I, and that just proves to me when I've learned from other people is how individualized it is. It's quite remarkable. Yeah. And I'm honored to hear the feedback, but it, it's really about the model of functional medicine and how we're taught to think, taught to think in systems and understand that these systems are forming a complex interconnected network. And the more we understand about the gut, obviously today, mm-hmm. and the liver and the brain and the heart, the more we can understand how all these web of interacting factors are working and where you have to alter it to shift the whole system. It's not just blocking one pathway. It's shifting physiological parameters back to health. Yeah. And that's really, um, it's really exciting. And it's really powerful that you see the data matching this. So there's so much data coming out in this field. It's really hard to keep up with, but the functional medicine movement is just, it's remarkable how many centers, universities, research centers 
are all globally looking at functional medicine because it's more consistent with the data that's coming out now. And so you're going to see more and more movement at the university setting, at the research setting, moving towards a functional medicine personalized approach. The next step, as we've all known, it's moving to personalized medicine. Mm -hmm. And I tell people, imagine if we shopped the way we do medicine. From here on in, I'm sure you girls would appreciate this. From here on in, I tell everybody, from here on in, everyone go to the mall. Everyone go to the mall. You all have to buy a size seven shoe. <laughs> that's it. If you're an 11, yeah. it doesn't matter. You must buy size seven and leave with a size seven because that's the most popular. And that's how we do medicine right now. Yeah. yeah. And it, when we take it out of that and we think of that context, like, hey, wait a second. That's, that's ridiculous. That's ri- a little ridiculous. Yeah. That is the best analogy. Yeah. And there, there is a place for both, right? Conventional medicine, if I get run over, if I fall off my motorcycle, mm-hmm. I want that type of care. I want to lock down the physiology. I want to get that all standardized as quickly as possible and get me stable. Now, can we stretch that out in complex disease over 20 years? It's a little bit more difficult. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Totally. Awesome. Well, thank you for sharing that. So why don't we dive a little bit deeper into our subject today, which yeah. is SIBO. Yes. So it's about your gut. And, and uh, an issue that a lot of people aren't aware of and might be suffering from. Yeah. It doesn't yeah. get a lot of limelight, I feel like, compared to like the thyroid and stuff. That's like the big hot topic. So true. Yeah. yeah. So I, I get excited because I'm a lot into gut health. So I'm interested to also just learn more about it from you. It's funny how you mentioned that because we've actually had thyroid patients who are actually fixed their SIBO and their thyroid kicks back in. Really? And so, yeah, if you look at the signals, so right now, SIBO obviously stands for small intestine bacterial overgrowth. So we now understand that we have more bacteria, viruses, and fungus in our microbiome, in our gut bacteria, than we have cells in the human body to a factor of 10. Wow. And it's interesting, how we, why are they there? And what relationship do we have with them? And it's not only in our gut. We have it on our skin, heart. Now we found it in the brain, the nasal mucosa. So we know that this bacteria is present, and we know that it's very metabolically and physiologically active. In fact, there's over a 1,000 research papers per month coming out on the microbiome. And so SIBO is actually one condition of many alterations in this microbiome. And we're only starting to understand, first of all, what is a healthy microbiome? How do we measure it? Is it the same for every person? Or does it depend on where you grew up geographically, your background, your food, your, your mom? And so we haven't been able to classify with the ideal microbiome, although we understand some of the basic tenets. So in SIBO, we know that there's an overgrowth of certain types of bacteria, and our microbiome gets altered. Now, what does the microbiome do before we go to SIBO? It helps us digest our food. It helps signal our immune system on how to be tolerant or intolerant. It actually has a hormonal effect. It has a brain effect. It affects autoimmunity, allergies. So these signals are coming from our gut. When food comes in, it provides information. And it sends that information through the microbiome to your hormones, your immune system, and your brain. 
And not only are there GI manifestations, gut manifestations, when it starts to go abnormal, quote-unquote SIBO, but there are immunological, we've connected allergies, 88 of the autoimmune conditions. We know that a large majority of them start as the origin is in the gut based on alterations in the microbiome. We know that now there's studies called uh, where they're actually seeing changes in mood and anxiety. So we know that anxiety can be affected through signals up the vagal nerve back to the brain and can affect brain chemistry, particularly dopamine, affect things like ADD, anxiety. So there's this term called psychobiotics, where you actually give a bacteria that affects the chemistry of the brain. So this is an emerging field that we don't fully understand, but there's some basic tenets that we're starting to understand that if we alter it, there's some pretty grave consequences. Even now, which is really interesting, is they actually found that it connected to obesity. I'm sure we've all had come across people that cut calories and don't lose weight. Mm-hmm. You guys ever talk to any of them? Oh, oh yeah. Just a couple. <laughs> Just a couple. Just a small, Just small handful. Few, few out there. Yeah. I think I see them probably daily. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And they actually, in some of the studies, they actually realized that they lowered calories if their microbiome was off and they had SIBO. They lowered calories and they got them fatter. Really? uh, And there's this term came out. It's actually called energy harvesting, where the body and the gut bacteria will over-extract calories to make you obese. Wow. And so this term came out where they actually are studying the ratios of bacteria. The certain class or phyla they call Bacteroides and Formicutes. And we can measure this. Functional medicine is very innovative. We can measure a lot of these things. And so if you shift the culture, the ecology of this complex microbiome, the FB ratio shifts, you can reduce calories, exercise more, and you will gain fat. Because it derails insulin signaling, leads to diabetes. And it leads to uh, inflammatory concerns. And so one of the challenges I have with my patients, if they've been so indoctrinated with the 80s research of calories in, calories out equals weight, it's simply wrong. And it's not consistent. And I feel bad for people that work so hard and they come in and they're in tears. And it breaks my heart because I know how hard they worked. And they're not getting the results. Yeah. And then they because, blame themselves. And yeah. then they forget they go into guilt trips. Yes. And then they say, well, forget it. I'm doing I it anyway. Up. And they just stop. Oh yeah. my God. You're and then the doctor language. tells them, you know, just stop eating or exercise more. And I'm just, it, it's disconcerting. It's, uh, yes. It's, it makes me feel bad for them. A lot of these people that come to us are women. We have men as well. They don't seem to be as worried, mm-hmm. but it seems to be that this is a common theme that we've been indoctrinated in medical school, they're not teaching them about these innovations. And so it's, it's, and then what they do is they measure their thyroid and call it a day. Yeah. Your thyroid's fine. Just stop eating. Is it their microbiome? Is it SIBO? How does SIBO manifest? So how do, first of all, how do we test it? I'm sure most of our listeners would be interested in that. I'm assuming. Yeah. Yeah. What is it? What what is it? I want you to break it down. Sorry to interrupt you. Yeah. I'm really bad for that. Um, I want you to break it down into, yeah. How does it manifest? Like what would, what would they see as their common symptoms? And then we can move into, um, like testing and then treatment. Good. Yeah. I like that order. 
So first of all, I think if we were to consider SIBO as a possible underlying mechanism or core imbalance related to a systemic health problem like allergies or obesity, I would say that it would be IBS-like symptoms to start. Gas, bloating, abdominal distension. These women feel like at the end of the day, they need their stretchy pants. I'm yeah. sure you've all heard that. Yeah. Right? And so they feel flatter in the morning. Um, those would be some of the more common diarrhea, constipation, mm-hmm. um, because the microbiome actually affects how, how peristalsis, how quickly things move. Mm-hmm. You could get systemic symptoms. It's not just the gut. It's not just the gas, the bloating, and the cramping and the discomfort. But you could get headaches. You could get refractively low iron where you're taking iron it doesn't come up because the bacteria actually are taking the micronutrients from you. So if we have patients with systemically low iron, that doesn't matter what they do, the iron won't come up. B12, vitamin D, vitamin A. Remember, they synthesize certain vitamins for us as well as help us digest. So you could get headaches, food allergies, refractive weight loss. Um, I would assume that fatigue would be a big one as well. Chronic fatigue. It's linked in the chronic fatigue and the fibromyalgia literature as well. Oh, fibromyalgia. Yeah, so I've had a few folks, again, that was their mechanism to their fibromyalgia, but not all of them. Yeah. But it's definitely linked to chronic fatigue syndrome as well as fibromyalgia. Um, Consistently elevated liver enzymes or fatty livers. That would be another um, possibility. Just feeling swollen. A lot of women are like, my fingers, my hands, my wrists, I feel puffy. And the reason is, is because the gut bacteria is damaging the lining. So the intestinal lining, you've all heard the term leaky gut. Mm -hmm. We call it antigenic hyperpermeability. So in in essence, you're actually starting to get larger gaps between the epithelial cells, and it actually derails your fluid uh, homeostasis. So you, you start to get fluid and puffy and you're not doing anything. And women, what do they immediately blame? They blame their hormones. Mm -hmm. That's usually what I get. But a lot of the time it's actually the gut. And to take it a step further, I've even seen a lot of PMS women related to SIBO because it actually derails how your body breaks down estrogen. They have a new term now called the estrobiome, which literally means that estrogen ratios and estrogen metabolites are affected by your gut bacteria. So the number of possible symptoms, I would say the more common ones would definitely be allergies and eczema. Those would definitely be up there. And for every autoimmune patient, we always look at the microbiome and we look for permeability problems. So those would be some of the symptoms that I would consider for folks out there that are thinking, do I have this? And it's actually pretty easy to test and it's pretty cost effective to test as well. I was reading actually about that this morning that you can do it through breath tests. Yes. Yes. Although that's, that would be the more conventional route for sure. I used to think, funny you mentioned that, I used to think SIBO was just an integrative term. Until recently, I had a patient that came home from a hospital with a diagnosis of SIBO. Oh, wow. And got the antibiotics for SIBO, which are well studied. I actually actually. was going to ask about that because I was reading that, I was reading an article this morning about it saying that 
they're finding specific strains of probiotics to be far more efficient than the actual antibiotic. And with antibiotics, there's a high reoccurrence rate. Yes, uh, there's actually a study that actually compared the natural approach or the um, herbal approach to the antibiotics. Yeah. And uh, the study was actually well done. And what they found was they had equal effectiveness. Uh, this is the rifaximin. Versus, yes, that's the one I was reading about. Versus yeah. a series of natural health products. And um, they had equal success rate, but there was a higher rate of relapse on the antibiotic group. And then the ones that relapsed, they gave them the natural products, and then they did really well. They did better. And there was also a higher list of side effects on their Faxman group. So there was more gastroenteritis and um, C. diff. So that's something to be aware of as well. But we do use a C. difficile, like the infection. Oh, gotcha. Okay. And um, so we actually use at our clinics because we have MDs and NDs. um, We use both. And a lot of the time, the rifaximin is a good start. But I find it's classic for the way uh, some of these medications work is they work well in the beginning. And then as they lose their traction, the natural medicines kick in. So that's usually a good balance between the two. But if you just eradicate, it it doesn't hold. You have to put the patient through a gut restoration protocol, but it can take anything from weeks to years to get the gut fully robust and uh, healthy. Um, But to go back a little bit to the testing, the breath test is commonly used for sure. And it's measuring uh, methane and hydrogen gases. Um, although we're still not sure how exactly to quantify that. But a really simple, easy one that most of your listeners can do is there's a $5 urine test that you can do for your family doc or from us called a urine indican test. And that actually measures how the abnormal bacteria um, take protein or small peptides, broken down fragmented protein, and create putrefactive byproducts that's picked up in the urine and that gives a measurement of zero one two three or four anything above two and above would be classically SIBO that's fantastic that it's something that's actually affordable and easy for people Mm -hmm. to do because I think that scares a lot of people away is they think it's going to be really complicated and really expensive so there's no excuse really if you've got these symptoms that's an easy check yeah yeah, why not for $5? Why yeah. not get that checked out? Yeah. I know I mentioned that after we went into the testing, we would go into kind of treatment. But mm-hmm. I, as we're, as you were talking, I feel like a question that our listeners are probably having is what causes it? Sure. <laughs> that's, that's a great question. Yeah. What, yeah causes, absolutely. what causes SIBO? Like what are the most common things? Because we can get into treatment, but if people do the treatment and, and then all of a sudden they go back to a regular lifestyle, like maybe they're going to get it again or they're never going to fully recover. So like what are the reasons that people are even getting SIBO in the first place? So not to put you ladies on the spot, but I'm going to put you on the spot. Uh-oh. Any thoughts, any questions? I often ask patients. So I'm like, I, I get them to reflect on how they lived and I ask them, do you think you know why this is happening and what, and a lot of the times it's not something they did intentionally or something that they're doing wrong, but it just get them to reflect and get an idea of where do you think this came from? Okay. I'm going to go first. I've got my guesses. One would be obviously diet. So I would assume lots of processed foods and sugars would not be ideal. Um, I would also assume that people that are often using antibiotics, um, would be more susceptible to suffer from this. So that's going to be my two guesses is 
antibiotics and a standard American diet. Yep. Yeah. Um, I would say, uh, I would echo diet for sure. Um, because of our, same thing our highly processed foods and also stress, because I know that when I feel stress and most people feel stress, they feel it in their stomach and that really messes with our digestion. And I think that as you and I were talking before we started doing podcasting, I think people's anxiety and stress is at like an all time high right now. And I think that's why this is so prevalent. Well, I would agree with both you ladies, and um, I would add to that as well. Think of the microbiome as a reflection of your lifestyle. So to modify it, you actually, one of the most powerful ways to modify it in the research is actually exercise. So we often think because it's in the gut, it must be just the food coming in that modifies it. Mm -hmm. But it feels it when you're stressed because it changes the blood flow to the gut. It feels it when you have anxiety. It feels it when you don't sleep. These bacteria are a reflection of how we feel. And the antibiotics is quite common. That's, a, that's absolutely a factor. There's no question. Um, interestingly enough, some of the mo- other medications that affect your microbiome more than antibiotics are anti-inflammatories. They're actually very disruptive to the microbiome. So, uh, like, what do you mean? What would Naproxen, people be taking? Ibuprofen. Oh, oh my God. I'll talk to you about that after. Yeah, 100% <laughs> it affects your, your gut. I was on that stuff for my back, yeah. and so was my dad, and it destroyed his gut. Right. Destroyed right. it. Absolutely. Um, unfortunately, and I hate to be the bearer of bad news, but I usually have to include this in my lectures in SIBO, is beer. Um, and we now know there's lots of studies on this, curiously enough. So when I go out and have some fun with my friends, I'll usually clean up my gut bacteria in the morning. And there's a couple of ways of doing that. Um, proton pump inhibitors, so acid blockers. And that will disrupt your gut. That will lead to malabsorption syndrome. Um, that's a big one as well. Eating on the run. So it's not what you're eating. It's how you are and the state that you're in before you eat it. So usually when I'll have a really larger meal, per se, is you start with a bitter salad and maybe just say a little prayer before I start and just calm the system down. And people who are just go, 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 go eating, the secretions drop and then you get these fragmented proteins that go in and mess up the gut. So these are some of the basic tenets of healthy living, um, but those are some of the causes for sure. I would include that with that a lack of fiber, insoluble fiber. And I'm one of the trends that I'm noticing recently is patients that are being very restrictive with their foods, particular gluten-free, are not meeting their fiber needs. Interesting. So we can be so restrictive that we're not meeting our metabolic needs. And I'm finding more and more of that because everyone's on the internet, restrict, 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 restrict. Mm-hmm. So if your lifestyle is high and your demands are higher, and you're restricting some of the micronutrients and maybe the things like insoluble fiber, we've got a problem. So it's basically like all of these factors just create a perfect storm within your small intestine. You got it. The perfect evil storm. (laughs) Um, I just have a question. I know you just mentioned gluten, um, you know, possibly being, uh, or eliminating gluten possibly being one of the reasons that people aren't getting enough fiber. Asking a gluten question when it comes to beer, like if you have gluten-free beer, does it still have the same impact on your gut? Like you're saying regular beer can have a negative effect on SIBO. Would gluten-free beer have the same thing? It's a good question. It turns out gluten can induce. So people who are sensitive to gluten may be from SIBO. And the other way around is also true. So 
And I, when I looked at the research around alcohol and microbiome, I don't think they were specific enough. There's quite a few papers, but I don't think that they were specific enough with type of beer, quantity of beer, um, or other alcoholic beverage. So I just tell people, use in moderation, right? We all, have, we all want to have fun. We can't be saints all the time, and that wouldn't be realistic. Go have fun, but just clean up after, right? Mm-hmm. Make sure you're extra careful the day after. Yeah, that's exactly what we preach. Yeah. Oops, sorry. Basically, yeah, the bounce back. Yeah, 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 for sure. Okay, so then let's go into what a treatment would look like. Sure. Um, so in functional medicine, there's a term, and it's interesting how functional medicine and integrative medicine has been preaching health resides in the gut for how many years now? Mm-hmm. How many decades? And now the literature is actually consistent with what they've been preaching for all this time, even way before my time. But we have a program which I've talked to you about before called a 4R program. Have you guys heard of this term before? No, I don't know which program you're talking about. So this is a functional medicine term. Um, but basically, anytime we have a SIBO or any, often any kind of gut problem, we put it through a 4R personalized program. And at the end of the fourth R, we've got a healthy, robust um, digestive system. So the 4R stands for remove, replace, re-inoculate, and repair. So remove would be remove offending agents, so food allergies. Remove bad bacteria, like in SIBO, and there are natural and drugs that can do that. Replace the secretions, enzymes, pancreatic enzymes, hydrochloric acid, even the endogenous hormones that are in the gut that are necessary for all these digestive systems to function. Re-inoculate with strain-specific probiotics. I, I'm going to be very clear. I don't take a lot of probiotics. In fact, I don't take any. I only use specific strains at specific times. The random use of just probiotics because they're good for you is not recommended. So it's very strain-specific bacterial. Um, and then finally, repair. So the fourth R is repair the gut lining, and there are natural health products that do that quite successfully. So that's a four R program, and we may do one R at a time with a patient, or we might do three R's at a time, uh, depending on where we think the biggest problem is, and we may keep them at one R for a longer period of time. But there's some basic things we can talk about today that uh, folks can do to start to improve the integrity of their microbiome and fight SIBO. So just one question I wanted to ask was because the first time that I came to see you, you told me to immediately stop taking my probiotics, which I had been doing for years. Is this um, something you would recommend like for the general public to stop taking their probiotics and to just go for more fermented foods? Or in general, can people still take them, but if they think they have something like SIBO, they should go see somebody? Like, is there a time and a place just to go and grab probiotics from the health food store? No. Interesting. So all my family, as you know, I have three boys. They take prebiotics. Yes. So I may be different from some of my colleagues in this opinion, um, but I'm quite confident in what I see. Now, let me give you an analogy if that would help. Of course. So imagine how delicate the ecology of the bacteria in the gut is. So think of it as a jungle. Every insect, every plant, every animal is all in perfect harmony. 
and it's really complex and you can't disrupt any of those ecosystems. Throw in a bomb like an antibiotic, okay? Then now take a probiotic, so throw in 50 billion tigers and see if it balances. So you'd never be able to get that jungle to fully balance by taking one strain. So there are studies that show there are specific strains that improve the biodiversity of the gut, but it's got to be very strain-specific. So I, based on my review of the literature, I do not recommend random, consistent use of probiotics. In fact, now their studies starting to show harm because they're taking the wrong strain and it, they don't have human clinical trials behind many of the probiotics on the shelf. And there's a way of deciphering whether it's got a human trial or it does not, whether it's using the right dose or it's not. Most of them, to make them cheaper, they use a dose that's so low, it's almost ridiculous. Uh, And my my comment on that is usually trying to um, pee into the ocean to raise the water. (laughs) It's just not going to happen. Yeah. Right? So we often take these because we hear it's good for you and kind of makes sense on the surface. But it turns out that not, might not be fully true all the time. So we have to be careful. Yeah. So you would recommend the prebiotic, which now you can get at any health food store in powdered mm-hmm. form. Mm-hmm. Um, and then just sticking with like fermented foods, like kimchi and sauerkraut and all that's still good to yeah. go. Root vegetables, really good idea. Really good idea. Turnip and carrots. And um, yeah, absolutely. Those are all. You got to be careful with prebiotics because if you have SIBO and there's a lot of bad bacteria, you're going to get gut rot. And I've seen so many patients that come in and like, oh, that made it a lot worse. So that's why the 4R starts with remove first. Yes, okay. Right? And some of the ways you could remove, simple techniques, thyme, uh, rosemary, um, garlic. Uh, these are some basic substances that we know are start with uh, the remove. We use things like uh, berberine alkaloids, which is an extract from golden seal. Uh, we use oregano, we use thyme. Um, sometimes we use the antibiotics, but we usually spend a lot of the time in the beginning on the remove stage. Is the, or is this the awful tincture that you made, Matt? Yes. Okay. I thought so. So yeah. Yes. Matt, so, Doesn't taste good. So Matt had SIBO as an example, um, or probably still does to a degree. And, uh, you know, as per your recommendations this time last year, removed started taking the, um, the tincture, started taking some extra supplements and has had massive decrease in his allergies and his weight. And yeah, he dropped 20 pounds. Like it was nothing. Yeah. Just from helping to heal his gut. Yeah. So exactly what you're talking about. So just as a, just as an example, like what sure. you're saying definitely works and that tincture as awful as it is, Matt was very committed to it mm. and it made a massive difference in his in his health I'm whatever really, tincture really, i have is awful too. i'm really happy to hear that <laughs> yeah. i'm always it always gives me a little bit of a dopamine high when i hear patients getting better so well because really a nice. lot of people don't follow through i'm sure that's probably the most frustrating thing for you is that like you feel like you can really help a patient and you want but you can't be there making them take a tincture it's not very motivating to take a tincture that tastes awful right like you so you have to really put the work in so i think when you'd have a patient that puts the work in and sees that difference that you know like you can give them all the tools in the tool shed but if they don't use them it can take a deer to water but you can't get them to drink and you know what mm-hmm. that's okay mm-hmm. We're all entitled to choose. 
And mm-hmm. if they're not ready at that point, that's okay. Mm-hmm. When they're ready or they're really sick, they'll come. Yeah. So we have to be okay with that. Yeah. We, at the end of the day, guide them. We almost say at this, at this clinic, we try and be there almost like they're cheerleaders yeah. to encourage them and give them that hope and empowerment so that, yes, you can feel better. Yes, you can recover from this. But at the end of the day, if they don't want to make those choices, we have to be okay with that. Oh, yeah, we can compl- literally we, our business too. We completely <laughs> understand that because you can work with a client for years, but if they're not ready and you can't take it as you can't take it personally and you also can't shame them into it. So, yeah. And no. sometimes it's hard because yeah. you you see them suffer yeah. and you know that the solution is right there. Mm-hmm. Um, and through years, through experience, I made those mistakes. Mm-hmm. I took it personally. And now I recognize that it just wasn't their time. Mm-hmm. And we have to be okay with that. Just when they're ready, just continue to encourage and bring them back. And oftentimes, you know, first of all, our compliance is going up because people are hearing more and more about functional medicine. And I find if you get them excited and hopeful, the, they do it. Mm-hmm. They do it. It's about getting the right information in front of them, giving them the tools so you don't set them up for failure. Mm-hmm. And if you do a little bit of cheerleading on the side, that's okay too. Mm-hmm. Well, I think that we're in a society that's so busy and hustle, bustle and stress that a lot of people are like, I don't have time for that. And they think because of what they've been conditioned to know in the past with a traditional medical approach of here's some antibiotics, go home, or here's a medication, go home, that they're they're not used to actually having to do the work. And like you said, as more information is coming out, people are becoming more accountable of their own health and realizing that they have to advocate for themselves. So there is definitely a shift happening, just that everybody's in different stages of that shift. Yeah, for Those sure. who don't have time for their health now, will sooner or later find time for illness. Yes. Exactly. That's what I always say. I'm like, you can invest in your health now and live a long, joyous life or get basically run over by a truck. You know what I mean? Like, yeah. Why wait until you're catch sick? Up to you. It's going to catch up to you. To me, it's insurance. Mm-hmm. It's insurance in your health, in your body, in your lifestyle, in your happiness, in mm-hmm. everything. And yeah, I know, I understand a lot of people's apprehension to come see a functional medicine doctor, even because of the money. But like you're saying, it's like, you have to make that investment in yourself. And I know it's not easy, but if your child was sick, you would find a way. Sure. Right. And like, you need to take responsibility and you need to find an interest in your own health like that. Because like you're saying, like, why wait until you're sick to address that specific problem, you know, if something feels off, listen to your body and go get help now because don't get used to just being mediocre. You are valuable and you deserve your best self. You can give your best self. And so sometimes people, they've been so broken down in terms of self-esteem, they don't think they deserve it. Mm -hmm. And so you just got to build them up a little bit. And the other thing about functional medicine and the empowering and the, the participation is that it doesn't have to be crazy expensive. Our job is to give you what we think are the best options. Option A, B, C, and D. If you can't afford this option, or you think it's not in your lifestyle right now, we will find a way. Everybody, everybody deserves health. And we just got, if we can't go through the front door, we go through the side door. One way or another, I think everybody deserves to feel better by visiting a functional medicine doctor. <laughs> What's so funny? (laughs) My brain immediately went to the back door. (laughs) (laughs) 
side door, maybe. <laughs> She's I don't know. always in pervert mode. It's a. T- <laughs> Anyways, we got through the first R, remove. Wow, that was the a long R. The second R. So distracting. This is what it's like working with her all the time. Fair enough, fair enough. She still has the joy in life, though. I She's appreciate smiling. her. She's smiling. I love it. Oh, God. Okay, so the second R. Right. So that would, cla- this one's a little simpler. We'll keep this straight and to the point. So replace. So you're going to replace secretions. Digestive enzymes are pretty common. I find most people um, go immediately to digestive enzymes, but they got to look a step higher. And it's usually stomach acid that actually drops first. Uh, because when we're high pace, high anxiety, stomach acid tends to drop. And that sets you up for the whole train or every step along this assembly line not to work. So th- you basically got to replace those secretions and uh, then move to the third R, which is the re inoculate. So prebiotics, probiotics, strain specific stuff. And then um, obviously the the last R would be more repair. And there are some phenomenal natural products that literally mend that lining and repair it back to the mucosal thickness uh, and the integrity that's required to create that barrier to protect you from incoming offending agents. Uh, So you don't get the autoimmune condition down the road. We know that a large majority, based on Dr. Fasano's work at the University of Maryland, who basically brought leaky gut to the forefront in 2012 um, is basically showing us now that there's so many conditions that are a result of loss of this integrity. And this epithelial lining can get lost not only in the gut, but in the lungs. You could have leaky lungs, wow. leaky skin. I know leaky brain leaky is brain. something, yeah. That's right? Your new blood information brain barrier. to me. And we can test these things. Wow. Right? So I actually... I'm a medical advisor for Fluids IQ, which is a Canadian-based small lab. They brought, quote-unquote, leaky gut testing, zonulin, which everybody should get done, 100%, to the forefront, made it very affordable. And so your, your, your Canadian lab is bringing this forward, and they've done all the standardization, and basically we can measure this with a simple, quick test. Where would somebody go to find something like that? Zonulin? Yeah. So we tested here. Oh, okay. Yeah, and then we send out to the lab labs in Montreal. Okay. And I have one more question. Um, what is the difference between leaky gut and SIBO? So SIBO is an alteration in the microbiome, um, which can be very localized and specific, but it's an overgrowth of bad bacteria in simple terms. Then leaky gut is a breakdown of the barrier of the integrity of the line. So if you think of your gut as a rubber tube and go ahead and start taking a pen and poking holes in that tube. Mm -hmm. So it's supposed to be intact and it creates a barrier like your skin, Mm -hmm. but on the inside, because the gut is still considered the outside world. So your skin is a barrier. Your gut is a barrier. Mm -hmm. So that microbiome, that gut bacteria, they manufacture uh, what are called short chain fatty acids that fuel the lining. So usually if you have SIBO, you have leaky gut, but not always. So bad bacteria is SIBO, and then leaky gut is the integrity of the lining behind the bacteria. So there's layers of protection. There's a mucosal layer, there's the bacteria, there's the actual physical barrier, and then there's the immune system on the other side called the GALT. So our body has, um, throughout time, has created these protective barriers to ensure that... um, we're doing our best because it's still considered the outside world. Fascinating. 
cool. Thank you for clarifying that. What percentage would you say? Because from what I'm gathering that like basically anybody that has any sort of gut issue, it all comes down to having some sort of leaky gut. Like, would you say like, especially now with like the population or um, with like the standard American diet, like what would you say? Like 80%? Like, I think it's a lot higher than people realize. And I think a lot more people have it than realize. I would agree with you 100%. I don't know the exact stat, but I'll tell you, when we measure it, there aren't too many that are negative. That was going to be my guess. Like I would guess probably 80% of people have some form, if not even higher, and of some sort yeah, of you stress someone else, You stress someone out, you're going to create barriers in that lining, or sorry, uh, breakage in that lining. So just high stress, high pace lifestyle can create leaky gut. Never mind the antibiotics. Never mind the refined food. Never mind the lack of sleep that repairs the lining. So yes, I would agree with you that it is an under-recognized, under-diagnosed problem. And that most people should be looking at this on a regular basis as part of a wellness panel to ensure that they're not going to get problems down the line because it is very common. Yeah. The craziest part is that there are still doctors that say that leaky gut's not real. Yeah, I know. Like, isn't that crazy? Yeah. I think I would assume a lot of people are actually being diagnosed, they think, with hypothyroidism or... IBS. Or IBS or, like you mentioned earlier, fibromyalgia. And, like, so they think that they have an answer, but they probably still have this underlying leaky gut. And then maybe they could actually feel better than they do. They don't have an answer. They have a label. Yeah. And that label is helpful, and it has a time and a place. But that's the downstream effect. Mm-hmm. Where is that upstream mechanism and is it leaky gut? Mm-hmm. So I usually get patients to think through how their medical history evolved. Did they have gut symptoms first? And most of the time they did. So I would definitely say once they get that label, don't be happy with that. Don't stop there. Look deeper and find out where that journey began. That's your end point. Where's the origin? Mm-hmm. And look for that origin because you deserve to find it and fix it. Is it normal to be gassy, constipated, bloated, like burping all the time? Is that normal? Because a lot of people are like, oh, I'm fine. This is the way I've always been. So I think what's happening out there is it's the way we're living is it's common, not normal. Yes. So I think what we're doing is we're actually lowering the bar as we get sicker and we creating a new normal, but you should absolutely not experience those symptoms on a daily basis. That is not normal. And that microbiome has been affected. And what's really interesting too is this research on what's called the MMC, the migrating motor complex. You heard this before? No. So it's part of the enteric nervous system, the nervous system in your gut, and that controls peristalsis. That controls how quickly things move through. And it's affected by the microbiome. So we've had some people, their only symptom was they they have a bowel movement every second or third day. Like, you have to have it every day, full informed. And just because you're told that's normal, it's not. It's common, but it's not normal. Mm -hmm. It's found in the microbiome. Just to follow up, because I have a lot of people reach out to me about constipation. Um, And we've done Facebook Lives, and we've given lots of tips. So... For somebody that's, many have said to me, no, it's normal for me to go twice a week. And then now they're starting to do the research and they realize that that's not normal, but, and they're trying all the approaches to try to get themselves moving more. And if they're feeling lost, like, what would you recommend, like specifically to go to a functional medicine doctor or are there things at home, like that you can do that 
I'm trying to think of just, there's people that are doing all the things that are taking the omegas that are having lots of water, increasing their fiber. Yeah. They've done the basics. Yeah. And they're still not getting results. Right. So if you've done the basics, then you have to start an assessment to figure out what's actually wrong here. It's a problem that you have to solve. Sure. I always recommend people need to get a, a full assessment from a functional medicine doc, but at the end of the day, are there things they can do at home? Absolutely. So there's a term called a prokinetic. Have you heard that term before? So these are herbal prokinetics that actually improve peristalsis um, and stimulate the enteric nervous system through the migrating motor complex. And simple things would be like ginger would be one. Cinnamon would be one. Um, There's a couple of products out there. I don't know if you want to mention those or not in your in our discussion yeah, today. Yeah. Yep. Uh, there's a really good one. It's, uh, it's put together by a European gastroenterologist. It's probably the best prokinetic out there. It's called Iberogast. And you can get it at any health store, any pharmacy. They usually have to order it. It's a mixture of about eight herbal extracts that all act like carminatives. So they go in and they neutralize the gas that's being created by the microbiome or the excess gas. Um, and they improve peristalsis through their prokinetic effect. So that's something I've done even with my children, a couple of drops, and it really helps with gas and bloating and regularity. Oh, thank you so much for answering that. I literally had a girl email me yesterday asking this. She's like, I've watched your video. I've done everything and nothing's working. So awesome. Sometimes it's almost like you turn your your poo off. You know what I mean? Mm. Like it's almost like it needs like a reminder of how to be regular again. And it sounds like that's exactly what this is going to do. Yeah, so, so good for those people for doing that work and still keep doing that. Cause I know some people get discouraged. They're like, why am I even bothering? Cause I'm not seeing a change. Keep doing that. Cause it's very helpful, but add these things in because it's almost like you need to reignite your body into like a regular bowel movement. Absolutely. That's exactly what happens. Well, I think it also comes down to stress as well, because if you're stressed, so is your sphincter. Mm-hmm. Like it's all yeah. tied in together. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah the well, when I get really stressed, that. that's when you get diarrhea. Yeah. Like that's, uh, that's a really obvious relation that I think every single person can relate to. Like that just shows you how much your brain and your heart affects your gut. Right. Yeah. That's so true. And there's a lot of studies now in the vagal nerve. So the vagal nerve connects the brain to the gut. And when you get stress, it changes the output from the vagal nerve. And there are specific studies that have studied the tone of the vagal nerve and basic things that you can do to enhance peristalsis or gut function integrity through the vagal nerve because it's stress impacting the gut. There are some things that we can do that directly influence the vagal nerve, like singing actually improves the tone of the vagal nerve. Interesting. Uh, So does gargling Hmm. because it's actually vibrating the vagal nerve and chanting improves the tone of the vagal nerve. Hmm. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Very interesting. I have to learn more about this. Yeah. yeah. Um, I did want to go back though. We were talking about repair and rep- like gut repairing the gut lining. Um, what specific recommendations would you make for somebody to include into their diet? Uh, the repair process in diet would be difficult. Um, just to do it in diet alone, I don't think I've ever seen that. Okay. Um, you can heavily influence the microbiome. You can influence the regularity. It's tough to go in and mend the gut. You can prevent it from getting damaged further um, by assessing things like food allergies, which can poke holes in the lining. Um, But it's very difficult to actually get the gut to repair itself without 
additional natural health products or nutraceuticals to do that. Yes. Okay. Yeah. Amazing. Wow. This is very informative. I'm sure people are going to have to listen to this two or three times just to kind of <laughs> like really take it in. Um, so I don't know if you want to wrap up here, but I was going to say, how could people find you? Like how could people find you that are local or how could people go on and find a functional medicine doctor nearby? Yeah. So they can, uh, they can find us. Uh, so as you know, I, I'm involved in three clinics, one in Markham, the Canadian center for integrative medicine, Ajax, which is quote unquote, the anti-aging center, uh, which is a center for restorative medicine. And then we've got the Whitby Center, which is uh, the Center for Advanced Medicine. Um, so that's advancedmedicine.ca uh, or beyouthfulco.com for the Ajax and drcoprp.com for the Markham Center. Uh, if you're looking for a functional medicine doctor, there aren't a lot of us around in Canada, although they're massively um, uh, increasing the number of functional medicine trained docs in the U.S., uh, but I would go to the Institute for Functional Medicine okay, yeah. and I would get, look there. They're the primary source for research and education. Okay. Amazing. We'll link that for sure. Cause we have people that listen to us in like New Zealand and like, uh, there's people that are going to be wondering, how do I get my hands on a functional medicine doctor? Well, I think sure. that everybody should go in and at least have an initial assessment because it's just important to know your body and what's going on. And when things are off balance and they've been off balance for so long, that's your new norm. So being constipated and bloated and having gas and being tired all the time to you might seem like you're normal and that's just who you are, but it's not. Mm -hmm. Well said. Absolutely agree with that. Yeah. Yeah. So if something seems off, go get it checked out. Go yeah. get it checked out. Follow your gut. Your <laughs> literally. Follow your intuition. Yeah. Your intuition is very powerful. Very, Agreed. very powerful. Agreed. So. Amazing. Thank you so yeah. much for taking time out on a Saturday to spend the day with us. So, I know. So I felt like I was in a lecture hall again. I'm just like sitting there listening, like keep talking. I had so many questions I want to ask. So yeah. thank you so much. Yeah. My pleasure. Thanks for having me. It was a real, a lot of fun and you guys do some amazing work and I know you got some loyal followers. So yes. keep up the good work and thanks for having me. Awesome. Thank you so much. And don't forget to, to make, make today, today badass. badass. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of That Badass Podcast. If you could do us a huge favor and head over to iTunes and leave us a five-star review, we would be so grateful because you have no idea how much that helps us grow our podcast. Yeah, and as an incentive and a little bonus, we're going to be doing a monthly giveaway and it's going to be kind of a mix of everything that we have to offer. So one month it could be Royally Fit Online, joining our community. It could be from the Badass Boutique or maybe even just some like free recipes and like a coaching call or something with us. We will figure it out month by month as we go. So yeah, please go over iTunes, podcast app, leave us a five-star review. And once again, thank you so much for listening. Spare Room Studios.